0: This is Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. Fiction and non-fiction, graphic novels and more, we are here to help you find something great to read. Welcome to Books and Nachos, the Venganza Media Podcast about everything in print. Stuart in LA here to warn you that the zombie apocalypse continues. What began last fall with our sister podcast, now playing podcast.com's reviews of these six original Living Dead films created by George Romero, as well as three official remakes of those films, continues now with our spring 2013 donation drive. We've already covered the four Evil Dead films, which are kind of zombie- kind of possession movies, and are now getting to the five Return of the Living Dead film, a spin-off, offshoot, if you will, of the George Romero universe. Now, a lot of people have ripped off George, and I hate that, because they did so unfairly. The original Night of the Living Dead wasn't properly copyrighted, and so anybody can do it, because it's public domain now. But, John Russo is special, because he is actually the co-screenwriter of the Night of the Living Dead movie. He wrote it with Romero. So to me, he has as much ownership over the property as Romero does. And seeing that he has his own vision about what happens next, his own sequel, if you will, I think it's time to reevaluate and to see what else could have been done. It's already well documented that 10 years after Night of the Living Dead, Romero released Dawn of the Dead. Well, that same year, John Russo published his account of a sequel. He called it Return of the Living Dead, and that's what I'm going to be talking about here today. It's a very different storyline than George Romero's Zombies in a Mall, Dawn of the Dead, as well as a very different storyline from the film that would eventually bear the name Return of the Living Dead. That 1985 punk rock zombie movie where they're all eating brains is not what's on the page here in 1978. John Russo had much more trouble, I think, as an independent filmmaker than George Romero of getting projects funded. And he only had directed up to this point one other feature called The Booby Trap. And yes, it is a TNA exploitation film. He did not have the backing and the clout to get Return of the Living Dead made as a movie. So he wanted to, I believe, at least cash in on what his partner was doing with Zombie Mania by having something for people to consume in 1978 when Dawn of the Dead is hitting drive-ins and movie theaters Return of the Living Dead is hitting bookshelves and Russo seems far more reluctant to really fiddle with the formula this time. He keeps it within the universe in really the same location. We're going to be spending all of our time in rural farm communities as a new zombie plague attacks. He even starts the story out in the same way that there are people driving on the road having a heated discussion. Burt Miller is taking his three daughters to a funeral. And they will eventually bear witness to a horrible bus accident in which 34 people are killed. Reverend Michaels, the man that's presiding over the funeral, has very deep-seated belief that there's still reason to fear that the dead will rise again. Even though it looks like the good guys won last time and that the rubes that were burning Ben and all of the bodies did eventually get the contagion under control, no scientific answers were ever found to explain why the dead came back to life. And so people, particularly in these rural communities, believe it could happen again at any given time. And so they believe that if you see a dead body, you put a spike in its head. And by the time the paramedics and the police have gotten to the bus accident, 13 of the people have been spiked by this congregation of mourners who flee the funeral to take care of what they believe could be an outbreak, and they're right. No explanation is really ever given for why now, why here, what causes the dead to rise again. Maybe it's they're sentimental. Ten years. Maybe they just heard that Romero's making money this time and they want some profits. It's the conceit you must give this story that all of a sudden, everything happens just as it did before and no answers are provided. I don't like that. I gave it a pass in the original movie, but I really do feel like it's a cheat here to think that a contagion could be dormant for a decade and nobody has any plausible theories as to why it happened or how to stop it should it ever happen again? Those experts really aren't the stars of the story anyway. Again, we're back to Bert, his three daughters. They go and seclude themselves on a farmhouse. Bert is a very strict father. He's angry. He lost his wife in childbirth. And now that that child, that youngest child, Karen, is pregnant herself by a man that is not around. And it is a scandal for their community. So he is shamed and angry and rules these girls with an iron fist and one of them, the middle child Sue Ellen, has enough. She decides she'd rather take her chances running away to the big city than to be nailed and boarded up into this house with her crazy dad. So in these first chapters, as we're seeing bodies get up from the morgue and news reports saying, hey it's happening again we see Sue Ellen packing a bag and sneaking out through the last unboarded door to wherever she thinks is going to be safer. One of the other things that John Russo has kept similar about Night of the Living Dead is that humans are oftentimes more monstrous than the zombies themselves. And if we were asked to pass judgment on the guys that burned the black guy without properly vetting whether he was alive or dead, we definitely are thrust into dealing with even more despicable characters who are taking advantage of the apocalypse by being house burglars. Three men and a woman lure two state troopers into a barn, take their uniform, tie them up, and are now driving around in a squad car to raid these isolated communities. They see Sue Ellen on the road, they sexually assault her, find out where she lives, and bring her back into the house that she was fleeing. And just like Night of the Living Dead, we're really confined to an area where we have these angry, hostile people screaming at each other as zombies come in. They have already made work of Bert. The mean old father has been ripped apart. The two other girls have barricaded themselves in a bedroom come out only to find out that they've gone from the frying pan into the fire by now becoming hostages to these fake state troopers led by John Carter is the handsome 30 year old leader of the gang and you know if I thought Barbara was a weak wheeled female character in the movie they have not done any kind of progression or women's live (laughs) advocacy for these three daughters here all of them exist to be captured and bound and assaulted, and truly, all of the depictions of every woman in this, I don't think that there is a female who doesn't suffer some kind of rape or graphic death. I mean, Angel is one of the bad guys, and we find her attacked by a zombie upstairs. They linger on this. John Russo can't write enough pages about how the zombie ogles her body as it's chewing through it. It really feels like some kind of perverted sex act more than anything. And after a while, it really became distasteful to see these wimpy girls be attacked and brutalized. It's not the kind of horror that I was hoping for. The political relevance that I attribute really to Romero now, is all gone here on the page. Eventually, the real state troopers, the ones that the four had tied up, escape captivity and kind of fight their way across the farmland. One has been shot and is bleeding. His name's Carl. The other is Dave. They try to help Pregnant Karen, because she's going through so much trauma, she's actually prematurely giving birth a month early, and just like her mother, she dies in childbirth, and so now they have a baby, an infant they can't care for. They're trying to find food and get to some kind of shelter as they're running around, running out of bullets, and the zombies are sniffing them out. Now, I keep using the word zombies, but really, it's not Russo's words. Russo used the word humanoid. I think he might use it to differentiate himself from Romero. There's nothing that's ever said about living dead or zombies too much. The attackers are humanoids. And eventually, they become almost inconsequential to a story that becomes about cops and robbers, really. Carl is killed by friendly fire, and Dave and the baby, find shelter, find milk formula... Dave passes the baby off and then goes to get vengeance on the three remaining house burglars who have now besieged a country club called the Kingsley Estate and most of the focus of the second half of the novel is really about shootouts with other human beings, about bad guys feeding innocent people to the zombies as they steal their stuff. The girls tied up waiting for rescue and it coming in the form of Dave. Author John Russo tries to recreate the ironies that sort of ended Night of the Living Dead Dave eventually runs over a real human being that he mistook for a humanoid, and he himself is gunned down by the police for doing that. Anne and Sue Ellen are sad that Karen died in childbirth, but are happy to take in the baby, only to find out that it died from hunger and is now a zombie baby. Good luck finding a nanny for that. I'll be honest with you, it really doesn't feel like John Russo had anything new to say about zombies. He saw his friend about to make money off a project that he helped create and never made money himself, and so he created this feeble novel, cobbled it together, and it feels like a cash grab. It really does not feel like a worthy sequel. You know what it feels like, and I didn't see it, but from everything Jacob and Arnie tell me, it feels like the Russo scripted scenes from Night of the Living Dead 30th Anniversary. You know, when they stuck in all that stuff about religious zombies in the old movie. They went back 30 years later, and Russo was responsible for scripting that, as well as Children of the Living dead if anything this novel inspires those works and to hear my fellow reviewers tell it that's nothing to be proud of and it's telling that they scrapped everything but the name when they got around to making this work. They wanted to make a Living Dead movie to compete with Romero and got it together in time for 1985. Russo's involvement was very minimal at that point. The movie is scripted by Dan O'Bannon. They let Russo write the novelization of Dan O'Bannon's script and call that Return of the Living Dead. You might actually have more luck finding that book than you would this 1978 novel. This is out of print. It's kind of hard to find. It deserves to stay Dead. But the novelization of the 1985 movie, it's also written by John Russo. I think John Russo is ready to write whatever living dead you want him to write if you got a check in hand. And hey, I'm not going to judge the man for trying to make a living, but know your limits. This is no... George Romero classic. So thanks for joining me today. We are not done talking zombies on Books and Nachos yet. Now playing is building up to the release of the new Brad Pitt zombie movie, World War Z. That was first a novel, and we're going to cover it here. Once World War Z is released to our donors, World War Z will also be released as a book review here at Books and Nachos. I hope that you're able to find the money to donate and hear all of our movie review shows, but if not, you You can still hear our thoughts on World War Z when that's released in June. Thanks for joining me. Keep reading, and we'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can catch back episodes at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at PodsafeAudio.com. Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media Production, copyright 2013, all rights reserved.